How's everyone doing tonight? All right, ready for a good concert? Yeah, first green umbrella of the season. It's very exciting. Uh, I'm Thomas Kotcheff. I'm a composer and pianist here in LA. I also work at KUSC as a host for their digital media. And tonight I'm the host of Upbeat Live with wonderful guests. Directly to my left, I have Sky McClay, composer, oboist, installation artist, and tonight she has the premiere of Swarm Collecting. Uh, it's an LA Phil commission with support from the Deborah Borden Woman in the Arts Initiative. Oh, Deborah Borda, excuse me. Uh, we have Eric Wubbles, amazing composer, pianist, co-director of the Wet Ink Ensemble New York City. And tonight he's performing with Jay in his own piece, Gretchen on Spinrod. And the far left, we have Jay Campbell, the cellist and co-curator of tonight's program, cellist in the Jack Quartet, world-renowned soloist, champion of new music, premiering hundreds and hundreds of pieces from solo to chamber to concerti. Welcome. So let's begin with uh, Jay and curating tonight's concert, the process of putting together the program. Yeah, I think um, it's... I think it's a very, um, it's a fun position to be in to curate, um, especially as a performer. I'm lucky to uh, very much not be in the business of genres. I think that's done. Um, I might feel more personally about it if I was a composer, um, but putting things together, I feel free to put pieces together that I think are uh, well put together, interesting, but are uh, separate from any type of like stylistic similarities or going for um, a thread like that. So, I mean, I mean, honestly, it sounds stupid, but at the basic, most basic level, um, I was just primarily thinking about putting pieces on this program and putting composers together um, whose music I just really respect and I think are very good and thoughtfully put together. Um, and I think there's a lot of good music on this program. So you and John Adams co-curated, how was the back and forth? How did the process work? We sent each other a lot of YouTube videos, um, ranging from really intense experimental uh, noise improvisers um, to more almost like traditional fiddling. Um, there were different ideas thrown around about having people um, come and just do uh, improvisation as part of it between written pieces. Um, so yeah, we just basically threw ideas at the wall and and the things stuck. And besides being just really great music, is there any collect, uh, thread running through the, the five pieces tonight in your mind? No. <laughs> no. I, I don't think, um, I, I guess I don't feel that like really great music needs that. Um, there doesn't need to be a, um, it's nice when it happens and it really reinforces a clear idea. Um, but I, I guess I don't feel you have to, as a curator or anyone putting a program together, I don't think you really need to, uh, to like fish for a, a through line. Uh, right. I think often really cool, great music can just be what it is and you can enjoy it in that way. Uh, so maybe we can start by talking about uh, the pieces you're playing tonight, which is Eric's piece uh, and also Tristan's piece, is that correct? And uh, Mark Sabat's new Mark piece. Mark Sabat as well. Um, maybe you start with Mark's piece. And I know you have a Mark's piece. I know you have a relationship with Mark, with Jack Quartet, and playing a lot of his music over the years. Can you tell us about his music and, and his work? Yeah, Mark's music is uh, it's very beautiful. It's very specific. Uh, it, for me, it, it's, 
in a world uh, that's very specific with intonation, but also is very, uh, it still has a uh, almost classical type of like pacing that goes through it, working with him. A lot of what we were talking about wasn't about finding um, this very specific, you know, 17th overtone of a certain harmonic series. It was more about the phrasing, um, the right sound, and really about the music. And uh, I think that was, that's really cool because a lot of uh, music that's based off tuning tends to be very static. And this piece is actually quite, um, it has static moments, but it's also quite uh, driven in a lot of places. So uh, for me, Mark's music was really important because I play in a string quartet. We deal with tuning a lot. We talk a lot about tuning and uh, discovering Mark's music was a good way of finding um, a language to speak about intonation for performers. I don't know how many performers there are in, are in the audience or anyone who's played, <laughs> tried to tune chords with people. Uh, it's, it could be a very intensely personal thing to talk about intonation, um, to say that you're playing out of tune, you know, like tune to me, like what does that mean? Uh, Having and Mark has worked a lot in this field uh, of just digging deeper and deeper into the science of tuning um, and finding ways of notating it very specifically um, in an intuitive way. Um, so we talk about that a lot in the quartet. Um, it's really changed how I think about um, just playing the cello, uh, how I tune my cello in the beginning of the day. So it's, it's really, really cool to get to finally work with him on this new piece. Very nice. Uh, so we're also, you're also playing Eric Wobbles' piece with Eric at the piano. Maybe, Eric, you can introduce your piece and the story behind it. Sure. Um, it's a very intense piece. <laughs> uh, it's a very energetic piece, and it's coming from a, a specific, um, I think, aesthetic and expressive goal. Um, so there's a reason uh, underlying that, but that's a lot of what you'll hear. Um, it's a... I've written a lot of pieces that are duos. I think over time it just sort of emerged as like that's the genre that felt closest to my heart as a, a player. There's just something very direct about the encounter between myself and my instrument and one other person and their instrument and trying to find ways of bringing those into a shared space and seeing what that encounter does to each. Because each time it's a kind of meeting and each time that to me presents different material and different musical ideas and a different sound world. So in the case of this piece, um, the combination of cello and piano, um, the uh, person I was writing for at the time, and the situation, I was at the McDowell Colony, which is an artist residency in New Hampshire, and this was uh, late fall of 2016, which, as you may remember, was a time that there was a lot of uh, political stuff going on that was very uh, intense and very fraught. Um, and uh, just thinking back to that, that time, a lot of that, that stuff was just so in the air, even before... Um, the, the result of that particular election came to pass. It was just a time that felt so kind of crazy and chaotic and uh, toxic in some way that I think um, the Mariel Roberts, the cellist I was writing for, we were just talking a lot about that. We were thinking about ways in which uh, it would come out in our playing as we would rehearse together, just so much energy, so much, it just felt really good to kind of grapple with that, to take all that energy in and transform it in some way into something positive, uh, to metabolize it uh, in some way and make something different uh, come out of it. So I think that, uh, as a result, gave rise to this piece that's very, very driven, very motoric, um, very, very high energy from start to finish for about uh, 15 minutes. Uh, so being a composer and pianist and playing a lot of your own music, well, can you explain your mental process of having to dig into your own piece after writing it? 
Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's the the material that I end up writing for myself. As a performer, I'm not playing Mozart and Rachmaninoff. I'm more specialized than that. Um, so what I write for myself is very tailored to my specific skill set, um, which is great because you can just make yourself sound good because you just write for the things that you already know how to do. Um, so that, that aspect of it is very pleasurable. It's, I, I think I, I tend to write things that, um, that fit my body and that light up my brain. They're just what, what I'm drawn to. And so right. that, the experience of re-encountering that um, is a really joyful one for me every time I go back to it. And then this process of bringing someone else into that space and negotiating. So much of the, the rehearsal process in a duo context is one of negotiation. Like Jay was talking about with tuning, we're, we're talking about tempo, we're talking about feel, we're um, balancing all of these things. And since it's just the two of us, it's so clear. It's just that back and forth, just that sort of dynamic. Um, so the, the interpretation for me, especially in those pieces, has a lot to do with finding blend, finding the exact space in which we really fuse together sonically and create something that's more than either of our instruments alone. Uh, so you mentioned uh, working with specifically, specific people on these collaborations. What's it like now bringing Jay into the piece and how is that different? Yeah, it's really fun for me to, to sort of follow an arc of an interpretive history with a piece to open it up to, to see it uh, through someone else's eyes and history and all the things that Jay brings to it, all of his deep work in tuning, um, his incredible classical technical grounding. Um, and also, you know, I've, I've been running into Jay at all of these free improv and noise concerts in New York since we've been working on this. You know, we have sort of the same taste in music. You know, he, he tours with the Jack Quartet and does all this stuff, but he's actually just a total, like, music head into everything. And so we really share that, too. And so it's really interesting to approach the piece from uh, a whole different range of shared experience. Jay, can you comment on, on the piece and, and the process of learning it? Yeah, it's really fun to play. It's very cathartic, um, as you said, kind of through a prism of, uh, I don't want to say aggression, but it's like, it's very physical. Um, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm really throwing my entire body at the cello. Um, it's hard to play anything after this piece, um, and that feeling is actually really good. Unfortunately, I have to play after intermission, but I <laughs> have an intermission. Um, to recover, but I like pieces like that. I like pieces that are so intense that it actually can change your body. It can uh, affect, like you feel it the next day. Like I feel like I'm doing something worthwhile. <laughs> I'm not just sitting in the back of my chair like having a good time. There's a time and place for that, but I think I, I personally have always been attracted more in contemporary music generally um, to the sensation of kind of just being kicked in the face by it. Um, and I think there's a little bit of that element in your piece. It really comes flying at you. Yeah, for sure. So um, Eric and Sky are both active performers. Um, how does playing someone else's music creep its way into your brain, into your music? Maybe you can start with Eric and then you can comment on it too, Sky. For me, it's, it really helps me to kind of balance my overall practice as a musician. It just it gets you it keeps you from getting too stuck in one like silo or another. I think having to um, be on the other side of the dynamic to understand the imperatives, what what works in notation, what works in the interaction with the composer, and what doesn't really work. That that always informs my decisions when I have to be on the other side of that. Um, thinking about like power dynamics and relationships and the human social side of the composer performer dynamic is really important to me. And I think. Um, 
uh, you know, as more and more people are re-embracing this old historical model of the composer-performer, um, like yourself as well, it's, I think it's really good, just because it, it breaks down that hierarchical dimension a little bit, it opens up the, the social space, and it just, it, it makes us all a little bit more informed about um, the, everyone else's labor and what's, what's being asked of them, and we can be considerate of that, we can respect that, and we can use every possible um, resource that's available as a result. I definitely agree with everything Eric said about that and really that resonates with me too. And interestingly, I spoke at uh, USC today to a, a class of all the first year composer majors. So they were just you know, 18, 19 year olds and they asked me the same question. They asked, what do you learn by being a composer performer and should we keep playing our instruments and playing other people's music? And, um, and I said that I learn uh, well, continue flexing my empathy muscle by playing other people's music f from a very specific composer standpoint because then when, when I compose, I'm imagining myself playing it. Even if I don't play that specific instrument, I imagine as, as accurately as I can myself playing it on that instrument. And I think that that physical embodiment, um, especially when I'm editing parts, I like, especially since I just wrote a large ensemble piece for, um, for this concert, I had a lot of part editing, so I would, part of my process is pretending, sort of pretending to play the instrument through the part, and that helps me see if I made any mistakes with accidentals, or if anything is unclear, or if it just seems too uh, hard to switch techniques so fast or turn the page, so um, keep, by flexing that performer muscle, I, you know, become a better composer and vice versa. So we have to let uh, Jay and Eric go in about a minute to get backstage and ready to play, but I want to have you first introduce the closing piece, uh, Tristan Parrish's formations, or pattern formations, sorry. Oh, yeah, this is, uh, this is actually another piece that Mariel commissioned. Um, I'm, I'm riding her coattails <laughs> on this concert. <laughs> she has very good taste. Um, it's a piece for solo cello and uh, six speaker cones that are pumping out one-bit sound. Um, there's something for me very nostalgic about this piece as someone who grew up uh, <laughs> playing a lot of Nintendo. Can you explain one-bit sound? Yeah, one-bit sound is basically just uh, like binary on-off. Um, the entire electronics part about this uh, for this piece is just in a circuit board about this big. And the programming that is on the circuit board um, is probably takes up less space than your average email that you write. Um, so it's really actually just something that's like letting electricity through, um, turning the speaker cone or, or pushing electricity through the speaker cone um, or not. Uh, it's, and it creates this incredibly ecstatic uh, wall of sound and um, kind of this ever shifting prism of, of counterpoint and polyrhythms. Uh, that is is very hypnotizing and kind of uh, very also cathartic in a different way than than your piece. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else. You, I mean, you guys know Tristan probably a lot better than I do. If you want to talk <laughs> better about, about his Tristan, uh, I think it's a really um, it's a great example of uh, a contemporary musical artist who has an extremely strong conceptual dimension in the way that a visual artist might. 
where it's, there's a really clear idea, and he's found exactly the right medium with which to execute it. So the simplicity of the design of his music, I think, is extremely striking. Uh, it's very consistent. It's very well made. It has a very clear and strong profile to it. And it's also um, really interesting to listen to, just as Jay was saying, the sound world of one-bit electronics with a beautiful acoustic instrument like this cello, this you know, centuries-old piece of wood. The combination and the juxtaposition of those two sound worlds makes for a really interesting kind of tension. Um, and his uh, sense of pacing and form for me is also really acute and refined. I should have Eric talk for me all the time. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> well, thank you both uh, and Toy Toy for tonight's concert. So uh, the big premiere tonight is your piece. Can you introduce your piece and what it's about? My piece is called Swarm Collecting, and it is a piece for 20 instruments. So this was an amazing opportunity for me because the LA Phil said you can pick any instruments of the orchestra up to 20 people. And so I had a lot of freedom with uh, my instrumentation. And I ended up choosing two oboes, two clarinets, two bassoons, two trumpets, two horns, two trombones, two trombo tubas, two percussionists, two violas, and two violins. Um, so a very brass and wind-heavy ensemble with a lot of the low brass and, um, and, and duos of each, each instrument. And I did that because I had a, a kind of a very low, um, lumbering kind of sound idea in my head, but, and then also like buzzy, um, high sort of double read sound in my head. And um, the way that that sort of ended up coalescing into a um, sort of extra musical image is um, with the, uh, with bees, like I was thinking of um, how bees communicate with each other through, um, through a dance called the waggle dance. They um, can tell other bees where the uh, pollen, where good pollen is. So um, I thought of this idea of like the dance translating something from one bee to the next. And so my, especially at the beginning of the piece, my um, piece deals with translating a musical idea from one set of instruments to another and sort of other um, ideas kind of overlapping and interrupting that translation process. And, um, and then also the idea of swarming, how the sound kind of um, coalesces into these sort of messy swarms where no, nothing's ever, I mean, sometimes things coalesce into togetherness, but in order to get to, to the togetherness, there's a lot of, um, like a cloud of asynchronicity uh, that arrives at these moments. So there's the image of the bees, but it's not necessarily programmatic anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, the choice of instruments is rather unique. Um, did you feel plagued by the choice or like mean to choose or did you feel like it just called out to you the moment you, they gave you the options? Well, I definitely wrestled with it for a while, but um, I, and I was asking myself, well, should I write a piece that's got a sort of practical, traditional instrumentation that would um, possibly have more of a, 
future as far as being programmed in other contexts. And then I just kind of thought, well, you know, you can't really predict how a piece's future is going to be, no matter how practical or impractical it is. So I'll just go with my heart and do what I um, what I felt like doing. Uh, can you walk us through um, arriving here, coming to rehearsal, hearing your own piece, and editing it or not, and what goes through your brain in this whole journey? Well, I finished the piece about um, a little over a month ago, and well, I started I started the piece in August and you know finished it beginning of October. So um, I think that was pretty a pretty quick process for me. I had to really sweat to make the deadline, and um, then then I kind of just sent it off and didn't think about it for a little bit, and then John Adams and I talked on the phone a little bit, because he, you know, he had some questions and, um, and some concerns, but it all ended up working really well and sounding amazing, and uh, so I didn't make any, I, I didn't really have the opportunity to make edits after the rehearsal process started, because the rehearsal process started yesterday, so it's <laughs> so um, that's how it is with you know a large ensemble piece. You just gotta go with what you wrote down, pretty much, except a few small dynamic changes and balancing things and telling people you know accent that more. So small mixing things, but nothing major. Uh, there's an interesting connection on this concert in that Eric has played your music. Uh, yeah. Um, how is that relationship, you know, between you and him and composers, performers, how does that, how does that work? Well, Eric is um, a friend of mine and someone whose music I'm really inspired by. And so he's part of Wet Ink Ensemble. I've written a few pieces that Wet Ink Ensemble has played. And, and he's actually conducted one of my pieces for Large Ensemble. And, you know, he's just a really wise person, so some things that he said when he was conducting my piece, I actually think, thought about when I was writing this piece. Like, he told me, like, well, what does it mean when you put multiple accents in a row because um, you should only use an, I've, he thought I should only use an accent when it was to stick out of the context of the other notes around it, and I actually thought that was really wise, and so I kind of, like, cut down the number of accents that I've used in my music since then, so there's just all these little things that when you work with someone you long time collaborator in their knowledge and yeah collaborate and also um, since he is an amazing pianist I, I think I've definitely learned some things about extended techniques on the piano from Eric so yeah we're we're uh, close colleagues um, yeah close colleagues and hope to you know keep it going uh, so I'd like to introduce uh, one other composer who is in the audience right now, uh, Gabriella Smith. She's right there. She's going to come forward. Uh, uh, Gabriella's string quartet, Carrot Revolution, is the first piece on the concert. I first met Gabriella almost 10 years ago when I played her piece uh, over in Europe. And at that time, she was at Curtis, then she went to Princeton, and she's won all those awards, and it's been played by the best ensembles. Um, welcome. Thank you. Can you introduce your piece? Yes, my piece tonight is a string quartet, and it's called Carrot Revolution. And it was commissioned by the Barnes Foundation, which is an art museum in Philadelphia. And if any of you are unfamiliar with it, uh, it's unique in that instead of a traditional art museum with these 
big blank white walls and one single painting on it. Uh, this one has all these very famous paintings by Renoir and Cezanne, but they're all right next to each other, crammed up on the same wall, uh, mixed in with everyday uh, metal household objects and furniture and uh, pottery. And it was all arranged by a, a collector named Dr. Barnes, who felt that this would bring out the various uh, colors and textures and similarities and differences between all of these contrasting things that you wouldn't otherwise notice. And so that's very much how I approached the piece as well. And the title, Carrot Revolution, is a quote that's attributed to the French painter Paul Cézanne. And um, it, the quote is, uh, the day will come when a single carrot freshly observed will start a revolution. And so this piece is very much about that spirit of fresh observation and new ways of looking at old or familiar things, such as the string quartet. I love that this piece is opening up the concert because the opening section is so special and unique. And honestly, it does not sound like a string quartet. She's transformed this, this ensemble. I'm wondering how you found that sound and how closely you worked with the, the original group to make that sound. Well, luckily I was friends with the original group that I wrote it for, uh, so that helped. And I also happened to play the violin, um, not very well, but I use it when I write all the time. And so I actually wrote most of the piece on violin and uh, recorded myself playing all the parts and layered it on top of each other in a program uh, that I use uh, when I write. And so I was really able to figure out everything on the instrument, on violin, but you know, you can easily imagine that as a cello or a viola. Um, so then coming here and hearing the LA Phil and the music group playing your piece, does the sound change because it's not the original group? Yeah, it's actually, it's fun to me to always hear different groups' interpretation of the same piece. And at first, when, I think when the second group played it that wasn't Isuri's, that's the original group, um, I was, I always wanted to change it and say, uh, make it more similar to what the Isuri's were doing. And I was always giving them comments about that. And then somewhere along the line, I realized that it was actually more interesting to just hear what each group did differently than to try to make it all the same. And so that's the approach I've taken with this. Uh, fantastic. We have some time for questions and answers from the audience. If anyone has a burning question, they want to ask Gabrielle, Gabriella or Sky. I see one in the back, back corner. I could shout. Great, let's shout. What software do you use to uh, layer all the parts and listen to what you put together? I use Logic. What about you? I use Reaper. <laughs> or sometimes <Scary>. Logic. <laughs> Any other burning questions? Great. Well, it's be a great concert. <laughs> Thank you all so much. Thank you guys. Thank you.